Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week, and God bless. My uh, wife took our kids up to her parents' house yesterday for Valentine's Day. I don't even know. Um, she took them up. So, because I had a funeral yesterday and a bunch of stuff at the office, so it really didn't make much sense for me to go and also had to leave church last night. So I, I, I stayed back and it was really nice. I got to write in, in quiet peace for like two hours up in our bedroom with nothing more than maple scratching at the floor and the, to get more comfortable and Louie just curling up on the bed. It was delightful. Two hours of quiet. Uh, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have kids, one day you'll find out. Um, so I wrote this sermon. It was, I was really happy with it, too. I, I was all like, I got quotes, and I, I was like, I had, I've been thinking about this sermon all week. And then last night, I, at the 5 o'clock service, Bobby picked this really great hymn that we all sang to, hymn 358. And if, and if you notice when you were singing it today, you, it's not a song we normally sing all the time. It's, it's not a very common, um, the tune is really pretty, but the, the, the hymn text itself is not something we sing. And it's because it's, it says up here, it says Holy Week, three days. This is the hymn that um, the rubrics recommend that be sung on Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday is um, so it's a weird day in the life of the church. The whole point of Monday, Thursday is not the sermon, but rather it's the three mandantums, the three mandates of Christ. Forgiveness of sins, the washing of the feet, and Holy Communion. And that song addresses all three of those Mandates and and it's it's a, it's a beautiful song, but I usually don't ever hear it outside of Monday Thursday. And, and as I'm sitting there listening to everybody sing, which was quite fascinating. Like for a song we don't sing, everyone at the five o'clock service they were like saying it pretty loud. And I, I'm sitting there like this is kind of nice. My ADD is like going as I'm singing. I'm like thinking about all this stuff that happens on Monday Thursday. And, and it and I remembered this time. It was when we first moved to West Virginia. We were both, Pastor Diane was at, at St. Thomas Lutheran Church. I was at St. John's in Martinsburg. And we did our first Monday, Thursday service, both of us. And afterwards, um, Pastor Diane got an email from someone. I think the subject line was, you screwed it all up. Like, typical, what did we screw up now? And in the, in the email, she said, you messed, up whole, you messed up Monday, Thursday for me. You, you didn't do confession and forgiveness. Pastor Diane's like, yeah, we did. We, we did it. It's in there. Like, showed it. A, no, 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 no. You didn't do the individual absolution at, of confession and forgiveness. Now, both of us had never grown up in that tradition of doing that on Monday, Thursday. My dad, as high church as he is, we never once did that growing up. I never heard of it before. And so we did what every good um, pastor in West Virginia did. We called up our bishop, who was a liturgical snob, 
and we said, Bishop Regal, what is this thing about individual absolution? He said, well, they took it out of the, out of the ELW, and it's only in the LBW. And I said, he's like, why don't you go look at that service and get back to me? So we did. We, over the next year, we took some time, we, we did our research, and we figured out what it was about. And in the LBW service, it, it's completely different from the ELW. The sermon comes at the very beginning. First, you sing the hymn, Great God, Your Love Has Called Us Here. You then have the sermon, because Monday, Thursday, is not about the sermon. It's about the three mandates. And you're supposed to spend your time, if you do a sermon at all, explaining why we're here tonight. What are, what's going to be happening? And then after that, you go into confession and forgiveness. So we planned this whole service. We used the LBW right. We put it all together. And at my, my, we both decided we were both going to do this at both our congregations. And I go up to my usher that night. His name was Rick. I said, Rick, we're doing something weird tonight, even more weird than the foot washing thing. I, I'm going to have, after confession and forgiveness, I'm going to have people come up and do individual absolution. And I said, I'm going to need you to just direct the traffic. Rick took that as not a, like, go over to someone like, hey, would you like to go up? No, Rick took that as a commandment of, you will go up. And he is ushering up the entire congregation. He didn't give them a choice like I thought he would. Rick was just, nope, you're coming up. And I was not expecting that. I'm up at the, at the communion rail. Um, going through, and I, and I keep seeing all these people come out, like in tunnel vision at this point, just going through the motion of making sure I don't forget the words, as a call and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, by his authority, I therefore declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. And more and more people are coming up. And more and more people. And I finally look up and I see a huge line of people, the entire congregation was coming up. It was a very moving experience, not just for those who many of those Lutherans had never, ever experienced that. Because we're Lutheran, we don't do that, right? I had a, a woman at my first call argue with me, up and down, swear that we did not do confession and forgiveness. And I said, are you sure about that, Pat? Because it's in the bulletin every week. She said, no, that's not the same as what the Catholics do. I'm like, ah, it's kind of the same thing that they do. And she said, no, 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 swear up and down that Lutherans did not do confession and absolution. And uh, prior to this day, if I had this conversation, we would say the same thing. Most Lutherans have never experienced an individual absolution because we don't do that, right? It's, that's, that's too Catholic, right? No one really ever comes to me and says, Pastor, I want to have a private confession. Which is sad because we can do that. There's actually a service in our occasional hymn, uh, service book for that. It's a very powerful thing to come to the pastor when something is on your mind and you can't let it go to hear those words that you are forgiven. It's a powerful thing. It was a powerful experience at night for everyone. Even my son, who was two years old this time, and I remember this because he just turned two and like the terrible twos immediately clicked with him. Temper tension every five minutes it seemed like. He was giving, my, my mom was, and dad were up that night and he was just driving them absolutely crazy. And my mother, apparently, Rick came up, to, the usher came up to me and said, yeah, your mother was really having a hard time. She even said you need, to my son, you need confession and forgiveness tonight. And, but Thomas, at two years old, whispering into his ears, you are, your sins are forgiven. He never had that before. 
It was, it, was, it was a powerful experience for everyone to hear those words for the first time. Because they've always heard it. We've always heard it corporately. We've never heard it individually. It was a powerful, and it, not just for you, but it was a powerful experience for me. I remember at the end of it, my hands were shaking. It was just because I just had a lot of coffee. It was, it was an emotional experience and a very intimate experience with people of St. John. said, I never experienced that before with them. Telling them face to face, into their ear, that your sins, that their sins are forgiven. And after that whole experience, we swore up and down we would never use the ELW, we would use the LBW. It was a powerful experience. And I never forgot that. Forgiveness is a powerful gift that God gives to us. Because it helps us live in community with one another. You know, being in a community is not a very easy thing to do, Right? If you've been married for, for a long period of time, you understand that you're living together, two people, can be a very difficult thing. Except in our case, because I'm just a bunch of ray full of sunshine and happy thoughts, right? <laughs> it's why God, in the Ten Commandments, only writes three commandments about how to deal with humanity's interactions with God, but spends seven commandments talking about how we're to relate to one another. Because living in community is a very difficult thing. It's why Jesus spends the majority of the Sermon on the Mount not talking about the blessings, the Beatitudes, blessed are you, but rather how we are to interact with one another. The Sermon on the Mount on which we've been spending the last few weeks of worship is the foundation for Matthew's entire gospel. Matthew's gospel is really a manual on discipleship. The bottom layers of this manual, the foundation, is the Beatitudes. Which is important to remember these Beatitudes when we get to the fall and we're in Matthew's Gospel and it seems like Jesus is dropping a microphone left and right, saying some pretty controversial things, although the whole controversy about the, the whole thing he said about divorce today sounded like you know, a little mic drop. We're not going to talk about that. I have a great sermon on divorce that we'll talk about in Mark's year, so we got a couple years till that happens there. But, um, but Jesus, for the past few weeks, like last week, we he talked about you are the salt of the world, you are the light of the world. He's been building these foundations through the Sermon on the Mount on which he's going to base this entire manual for how we are to live in community with one another. Because Jesus knows the single greatest enemy for the church is not always going to be the devil. It's going to be ourselves. Because of our total inability, our righteous incapability, our radical corruption, our moral inability, our total depravity to sin. Sometimes we are the church's worst enemy, right? As a result of the fall of humanity, every part of our mind, will, emotions, and flesh has been corrupted by sin. In other words, sin affects all areas of our being, including who we are and what we do. It penetrates the very core of our being so that everything is tainted by sin and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags before the holy God. And for a time, God, the way God dealt with humanity's total depravity to sin was through the law. But then the law can never redeem us. It simply identified where we had done wrong and the only fix was punishment. I never killed anyone. 
I never stole anything big. Maybe when I was a kid, I stole a pencil or two, but I don't know, like 10 cents. They didn't really need that. I'm not a criminal. But for us Christians, especially for us Lutherans, sin we understand is committed through thought, word, and deed. We are not only guilty for the things we have done, but the things we have not done. The only way then, for, from the Christian's perspective, to receive redemption is through Jesus Christ. By his death on the cross and his faithfulness to God's will, and because we are baptized and brought into the fold, we know we receive justification. We are made right with God, but that justification doesn't take away our total depravity of sin. Justification only fits the part that separates us from God. It provides forgiveness, pardon, and remission of our sins. As Christians, we are called to live differently, despite our total depravity. Despite the fact that we daily fall short of the glory of God through our total depravity, we do what nobody else does. We offer forgiveness to one another. And there are times when offering forgiveness to someone is hard, near impossible. You know, no parent should ever be expected to forgive their child's murderer. No abuser should ever expect their victim to forgive them. Jesus gave his church a great deal of power the day he preached this sermon. He gave his followers the ability to offer forgiveness to one another so that they could live in community with each other. There's a great deal of power that a victim can wield when he or she forgives their attacker. Forgiveness gives the victim the power, and the victim then holds the power. Forgiveness gives the power to take away the power that sin has over all of us. So with that power, how then are we wielding and offering grace to one another. For a denomination as Lutherans, where we find our roots in justification and grace-filled theology, how are we at showing grace to one another? Are we known as a church that offers grace and forgiveness to one another? One of the things that we need to be about is forgiveness. You know, I've long heard from non-church members that the reason they, don't, they say the reason they don't come is the church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And typically my response is, well, there's always room for one more, so why don't you join us this week, right? But lately I've been thinking about that, that phrase and, and wondering, what's at the root of why they're saying it, why they believe that? Is it because they've been part of a community that didn't offer them forgiveness when they messed up? I think that might be the answer. Who wants to be a part of a Christian community that doesn't offer forgiveness to one another? I think that might be at the heart of why so many people haven't come back post-COVID. They feel like they will be judged and never feel the forgiveness that they so crave. You know, nobody else in the world practices forgiveness. Every time a world leader says they're sorry, we condemn it and say they're weak. Yet Jesus says to forgive one. And I'm not saying that this is strictly a Zion problem. This is a whole church problem. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm highly convinced that one sermon on the topic of forgiveness is not going to change the heart and soul of, of many. But as we think about our future and where God is leading us, where does our work of forgiving sins fit into that missional work? 
That's the question I wish to leave you with to ponder. Where does our work of forgiving one another fit into our missional work of sharing Christ's love, growing in faith, and serving others? Let me know what you come up with.